Beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Together, 2 and 3. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Find your way to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. While you're finding your way there, we're commanded to honor our earthly parents. No doubt, we are to honor our heavenly Father. Look at Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read from 9, verse 9 down through 14. We'll read the even-numbered verses together. This is a passage of which we're all very familiar. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Together, verse 10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, together verse 14, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. The title of the sermon this morning is this, Honoring Your Heavenly Father. Honoring Your Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Lord, I take just a moment and I'm grateful that you have given me the privilege to be a father. And Lord, you have allowed me to have a relationship with my father. And Lord, I pray for every man here today uh, that would look at today with a little bit of a bitter taste in their mouth. And Lord, help us to not relish in earthly relationships at this moment in time, but help us to revel in the wonderful relationship that you offer to us through salvation and the relationship of getting to be your son. Or your daughter. Thank you so much for salvation. Thank you that it's freely available to all who are willing to put their faith in you. And Lord, again, we pray if there's somebody here who has not done that, they won't leave the church today until they've gotten their debt with you canceled. They've gotten their sins forgiven. And Lord, they've been adopted into your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let me take just a moment before I get into my notes and just say this. If you are here today and you do not know where you would go if you died, or you're not 100% certain where you'd go uh, if you died, I can't think of anything more important than getting that figured out. I uh, worked uh, uh, for just a short time in college. I worked uh, on the buildings and grounds department, and that particular college uh, had a public graveyard uh, cemetery they owned that sat next to the college property. And so they sent me over there with a weed whacker, to cut the weeds off of the headstones. And I can remember walking around for seven, eight, nine hours at a time, cutting weeds off of a large cemetery off of headstones. And I remember doing that and reading the date, date of birth and date of death. And boy, I, I cut the weeds off of headstones of, of children, of teenagers, of adults in their 20s, and really every decade of life. And as I did that that day, I was just reminded how fragile that life is was reminded how that life can come to an end for any of us at any moment. Ms. Pam Dalton has been keeping me updated about a, um, a friend of hers that she went to college with. This lady had uh, a son, and uh, he, he got married just last year. The two of them uh, graduated from Pensacola Christian College. They're in their early 20s, and this couple was involved in a tragic car accident in the Nashville area just last week. And... The uh, girl died on impact, early 20s, newlywed, had her whole life out in front of her. He's in critical condition in the hospital, clinging to dear life. 
Now, that doesn't mean that's going to happen to you, and statistically, it probably won't. You'll probably live to a ripe old age. Your life probably won't come tragically to an end. But let me ask you a question. Hypothetically, if it were to come to an end today, would you wake up in heaven or hell? You see, it doesn't really matter how much of a name you make for yourself or how much money you earn or how comfortable your living is here on earth. If you wake up in hell one day, none of that was going to matter anymore. There's a false teaching that goes on in many religions, and it's this, that we're all born the children of God. No, we're not. We're all born the creation of God. We're not born the children of God. John chapter 3, verse 16 is a verse that most folks are at least semi-familiar with. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that verse is all of the elements of the gospel story. God looked down on humanity and saw that we were broken, saw that we were sinful, you may be here today think you're a good person, and you may be by man's standards, but are you a good person by God's standard? And the answer is none of us are, because God is perfect. And I haven't lived one day of my 36-year-old life perfect. Every day of my life, I've done at least one thing wrong, usually multiple things wrong. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you'd say the same thing. God's, God has committed zero sins. He's perfect. We look around at each other and think that we're good based on the rest of humanity. None of that matters. You're not to measure yourself against me. I'm not to measure myself against you. We're to measure ourselves against God. When we do that, we realize just how, how short we fall. God looked down on humanity and saw, saw that we were hopelessly lost. So what did he do about it? He sent his only begotten son. Why? Because we needed to be rescued. We were on our way to perishing. The verse uses the word perish. Perish is what happens when you end up in hell. Hell is a real place. Just as real as the auditorium you're sitting in right now, hell is a real place. And people go there by the droves every day. You say, why, Pastor? Because verse 17 tells us that we are condemned or damned or sentenced to hell already because of our sin. So what's the answer? The answer is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen again to John 3.16. And listen for the word believe. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, that is an open invitation for anyone, that whosoever believeth in Him. It doesn't say that whosoever attends church, or it doesn't say whosoever is a member of a denomination. It doesn't say whosoever gives money to a charitable cause. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but, notice the contrast, have everlasting life. Boy, you can go from being condemned or perishing to having everlasting life, and God's only requirement is that you believe in Jesus. That's it. You must put your full, unbridled, unchecked, childlike faith in Jesus Christ. The fact that He lived for you, He lived a perfect life. He died for you. He suffered on your behalf. He rose again for you. He defeated death. He defeated hell. He defeated the grave when He stood up back to life. He's the only person to ever be robed in flesh to be killed and raised from the dead 
on their own. And he did that showing that not only did he love, love you enough to suffer for you, he was powerful enough to raise up again from the dead to save you. And he offers that gift freely. Um, uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. I'd write, recommend, if you're not familiar with that verse, you write that down and go back and review it later. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. To become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Romans 8 uses the word adopted. It says that we are adopted into the family of God. We are grafted in. We are brought aboard. And when that happens... God becomes our Father. Now, all of us here that have done that, we're all the children of God. That's why we will refer to each other as brothers and sisters. Why? Because we have the same Heavenly Father. Brother Vara, Brother Owens, Brother Brian, Brother Russo, uh, uh, Sister Debbie, uh, Sister Lysandra. Why do we call them brothers and sisters? Because we share a commonality in Christ. We've been saved. And I would just say this, don't leave here today without putting your faith and trust in Christ and calling on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. Ask Him to come in your heart and ask Him to adopt you into His family. Boy, it's the most liberating thing you could ever do. It is, it is, it, it was as though a burden, a heavy load is lifted off your shoulders. How many of you here have done that and would say, Pastor, I know what it's like to have that heavy burden lifted off my shoulders. Amen? And I would encourage you, don't leave here today uh, without doing that because you never know when life is going to end. The sermon today is meant to be preached to Christians, those of you that have put your faith and trust in Christ. I have, um, I have had Matthew chapter 6 preached to me, at me, my entire life. Since I was young enough to remember, I've heard teachings out of Matthew 6. Sermons out of Matthew 6. And if you've gone to church any length of time, you have as well. I have preached my share of sermons from Matthew chapter 6. There's some very familiar passages in here. The model prayer. Uh, uh, how about this verse? Uh, once you recognize the verse, begin quoting it with me. Ready? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness... And all these things shall be added unto you. Um, how about this one? Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves do break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. How about this verse? This is also Matthew 6. Here it is. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Boy, and there's many other verses which most Christians are very, very familiar with. As I prayed about what God would have me preach on this Father's Day, I thought about, I thought about um, all of the different possibilities. We just came out of Family Month, and we've done a lot of speaking and preaching on the home, and so I did not feel that it was appropriate to revisit that topic. And on top of that, that sermon is not applicable to a large chunk of the congregation because only a handful of you in here are fathers. But there is one truth all of us can relate to that are saved, and that is that we have a Heavenly Father, and God wants us to honor Him on this day and every day. Um, as you go through Matthew 6, you find that it's hard to live up to these teachings. There's a lot here in Matthew 6. And many Christians will read Matthew 6 and think, boy, I sure wish... 
I had all that covered. I sure wish I could do all of those things. I sure wish I was there where I could uh, cover all of my spiritual bases that Christ laid out here on this famous Sermon on the Mount, this middle chapter. But we, 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 we want to be there, we push ourselves to be there, and we find that we fall short. And then, as I began to prepare for this Sunday, I realized part of the problem is that we don't properly understand the premise of the chapter. Let me show you something here. Uh, look with me at verse number 1. When I pause, read the next two words or three words together with me, depending on the situation. Let's go through the chapter, and I want you to notice a theme here. Look at verse 1. Take heed that ye do not your alms, or your giving, charitable giving before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of... Your Father, you with me? Your Father, which is in heaven. Look down at verse 4. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret. Look down at verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to who? Thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret. Go down to verse 8. Be, be not ye therefore like unto them, for who? Your Father. Look at verse 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father. Verse 14. For, uh, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father. Look at verse 15. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father. Look at verse 18. That thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father. Look down at verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, neither gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father. Father, are you with me? Feed of them. Continue to read with me. Verse 32. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek for your heavenly Father knoweth. Boy, the, the underlying premise of Matthew chapter 6 is you are to do all of the things in this chapter because you have a heavenly Father that loves you. That loves you. Now, I cannot... Honor my Father if I'm not willing to live a lifestyle in line with the way that He would want me to live. When I was a boy at home, I could not honor my Father if I was not willing to spend time with Him. I could not honor my Father if I was not willing to communicate with Him. If Dad came home and I looked to leave or avoid Him every time He came home, then I was not properly honoring my Father. To honor someone means that you have, one, a relationship with them, and two, you do your best to live your life in a way that respects them, that makes them feel loved, that uh, that shows them great honor, great care. And so what Matthew 6 does, please stay with me, is it lays out for us ways of which we can honor our Heavenly Father. How many of you here that are saved this morning would say, Pastor, if there are some things I could do to honor my Heavenly Father, Pastor, I want to know what they are so I can do them. If that's you this morning, Matthew 6 lays those out. These are not just nice, easy commands for us as preachers to be able to get up and preach. No, God gives us these truths so that as believers who have a Heavenly Father, we know how to honor our Father. Let's jump in this morning and let's look at five different ways Matthew 6 lays out where we can honor our Father on this Father's Day. Notice, number one, we honor by giving secretly. We honor by giving secretly. Look at Matthew chapter 6 with me and let's look at the first four verses and notice here what they say. Please open your Bibles in, 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 uh, in, at White Oak Baptist Church. We use our Bible a lot. So bring it with you and let's look at the passages together. It says, Take heed, Jesus is speaking here, that ye do not your alms 
or your charitable giving before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, look here, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, Christian, child of God, when thou doest thy alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. Boy, the Bible says here that when you do your giving to the Lord, you are to be as private and secretive about it as you possibly can. Now, other people give because they want everyone to know how spiritual they are. Oh, look how much I gave. Turn over to Mark chapter 12 with me in your Bible. Hold your place in Matthew. Mark is one book to the right. Mark chapter 12. While you're turning there, there is a culture I have seen in churches that I just don't care for. I don't think it's ever been a culture at White Oak Baptist, but I've seen it in other churches that I've been a part of. And it's somebody makes a large donation and we name uh, the wing of a building after them. Or someone donates enough money to build a gymnasium for a church and we name the gymnasium after them. Is that in violation of what Matthew chapter 6 is teaching? I believe it is. I believe it is. God does not want our our giving to be known. He wants it to be private. Here in Mark chapter 12, we find a scenario where Jesus is up teaching near the synagogue, on the outside of the synagogue. and His disciples are there. No doubt there are other people there listening to Jesus as he teaches. And people are coming into the synagogue. And right there in the vestibule or lobby of the synagogue, they had a collection box, much like what we have with the COVID situation going on. And people are walking in and they're doing they're giving, and there's two different types of givers at this church or at this synagogue. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury. And behold how the people cast money into the treasury. Look here. Notice it says how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. Now I want, want to pause here for a minute. I want you to think about this. It talks about how they cast in the money. You know, back then they didn't have checkbooks or checking accounts. Everything was done in some sort of currency. And here's the visual I get. Maybe this is a little over the top, but here's the visual I get. These Pharisees and hypocrites were walking in and they had stopped at the bank on their way in. Or they had their money, right, somehow. And they took their money and they folded it in half and they shoved it in their pocket or their little bag and they pull out a big wad, if I can Americanize this, of a hundred dollar bills. And you know, they don't just find the center and flip it open and put it in there. They didn't secure it in an envelope privately beforehand. They pull out this big wad of money and they turn where everybody can see them and one at a time they flip through to get to the center. And they get to the center of their wad and they look around to see who's watching and in goes $100 and $200 and $300 and $400 and $500. Then they fold their money back up and into their pocket they go and their chest pops out and into the synagogue they walk. Boy, who saw how much I gave? How they gave. Let's keep reading. Look back with me in Mark chapter 12. Look what, uh, look at uh, someone else here, verse 42, and there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, what would be equivalent to less than a penny in today's terms. 
which make a farthing. And he said unto him his disciples, or he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. Well, that's a peculiar thing to say. For they did cast in out of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Now understand that a widow back then were not like widows today. Boy, misogyny was much more a thing then than it is now. If you were a woman, especially an older woman, society didn't have a lot to offer you, and you were dependent on a husband to take care of you in your old age. And when he died, if you didn't have any children to take care of you, you were pretty much left to fend for yourself unless there was just a community of people who would take care of you. And uh, she was stuck, and all she had was less than a penny. That was all she had to her name, and with no fanfare and no one watching She walks into the synagogue in the system they had and she places what she had into that giving box and turns and walks in. And Jesus says, listen, those Pharisees that give in their ostentatious, gaudy way, uh, uh, look, what they gave, they're giving out of their abundance. They've got plenty of money. What they gave is nothing compared to what this poor widow gave. Boy, she gave sacrificially. She gave as secretly as she could. And listen, the Bible tells us back in Matthew chapter 6, if you give in secret, God will award you openly. He'll award you openly. I would say that played out for this lady, would it not? 2,000 years later, we're still talking about the widow woman who gave her mites to the Lord. Let me make it practical for you this morning. Um, Be careful with your giving envelopes. When I got here, we implemented a a system where you're assigned a number. That way you don't need to write your name on the envelope. And even though those who count the money, they see uh, an envelope number, but they don't necessarily know what number is attached to what name. And we have a database in a computer upstairs, and our treasurer punches in that number. And occasionally uh, he'll, he'll notice the name, but typically he's punching the information in so fast, he's not even seeing who's giving what. And be careful about that. If you have a giving envelope, uh, tuck that thing away where it's not visible It's not seen, and uh, hopefully soon we'll be back to passing an offering plate. That's a much more discreet way to give. But for now, when you put your money in the box, listen, your motive needs to be right. You give in secret. Don't be a Velcro wallet giver. You know what I mean by that? I told the story a few weeks ago in church how when I was like a six or seven year old boy, someone had given me a camo Velcro wallet. And I took the $3 that I had, that I had gotten uh, somewhere along the way, maybe found on the road, and I put them in my Velcro wallet. And um, the offering plate came, and I thought, oh, you know what, I should, I should give something in the offering plate. So I said, hold the plate, hold the plate, so now the ushers can't go, you know. And I pull my Velcro wallet, and whoosh, I reach in and take my dollar, and I put it in the plate, and I sit back and go... And I was six, seven years old. It was innocent. I wasn't trying to draw eyes. But, you know, all the old ladies around me are laughing and snickering and and they think it's cute. I've seen Christians that give that way on purpose. Look at my offering envelope go in the plate. It ought to be that no one ever knows how much you give, other than those that just have to know for tax purposes. If I know how much you've given, it's because you have voluntarily told me. That's the only way I pass the journey is going to know. 
I don't probe, I don't push. Listen, we're organized with our money here. We have a plan, we have a system. Uh, 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 if the IRS were to drop in and want to audit us tomorrow, hey, we're ready for the audit. We stay on top of things, we're very careful. But Pastor Lejeune doesn't know who gives what. And it's that way on purpose because we want you to give in secretly to a place where your right hand doesn't even know what your left hand is doing. We're very careful. Number one, we want to honor the Lord today. How many say, Pastor, I want to honor my Heavenly Father this morning? If you, if that's you, then give secretly. Number two, we need to qu- uh, quickly speed up here. Notice, uh, uh, we honor by praying privately. By praying privately. Look at Matthew chapter 6. And look at verse number 5 with me. It says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. The praise of men, the accolades, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions. Let me pause here. Use not vain repetitions. Isn't it interesting that God, Jesus, spoke those words right before He gave the model prayer. He said, don't pray a seance. Don't pray the same words over and over and over again. And somehow in many different denominational religions, they want to pray the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. And what does it become? It becomes a vain repetition. Jesus was very clear to say that. Right before he gave us the Lord's Prayer. Let's keep reading. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore pray ye our Father which art in heaven. This prayer is meant to be an outline for us to pray, not... not for us to pray these exact words per se. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We honor by praying privately. Um, Here's what I'll say to you on this. Time is of the essence, so I must hasten on this point. If you do more praying publicly in a year than you do privately, you're a hypocrite and you're a Pharisee. I've seen some people, man, they can pray some flowery prayers in church. I mean, they can lay it on thick. And look, if you're a good prayer in public, there's nothing wrong with that, but that better be backed up by a strong prayer life in private. Better be backed up by a strong prayer life in private. There's people who can stand up in church and, boy, they can pray and they can impress everyone. But if you were to stick them in in in, in an empty room and say, get down on your knees and talk to the Lord for 45 minutes all by yourself, they'd be lost. They'd be lost. Christian, how's your prayer life this morning? And and that's not meant for you to tell me. We're to pray privately. We're to pray privately. We're also to pray without ceasing. We're always to be in a spirit of prayer. There's nothing wrong with public praying. But boy, Christian, we have to have a private prayer life. A private prayer life. You need to have a time each day where you get alone with God. And if you've never done this before, start with five minutes. Get on your knees and talk to God. 
remember being a young teenager and wanting to have a prayer life, a prayer time each day. And I remember hearing a powerful sermon on prayer. And I went home that night and I got ready for bed and I found a quiet place all by myself. That's tough when you have seven brother, six brothers and sisters. But I found a private place all by myself and I got down on my knees to pray and I prayed for everything I could think of under the sun. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And when I got done, I looked at the clock and I had prayed five minutes. And I thought, how am I supposed to have a sweet hour of prayer, as the song says, when I can only pray five minutes? How many know what I'm talking about? You've had that happen to you before. You know what? It starts there and you go and you grow. You go and you grow. And listen, if you really are interested in having a prayer, a prayer life and a strong prayer time, come see myself or Pastor Morales or some of the other men that have been saved many years. We can teach you how to have a strong prayer life and an outline that Jesus Christ gave, gave here on how to pray. But you must learn to pray. And then once you develop a strong prayer life, it's not something we get up and talk about regularly or with other people. You know, I use my family a lot in church. I tell stories about my marriage, and I tell stories about my children. And for some people, it might be too much. Other people love it, and they enjoy it. My wife doesn't always enjoy it. She wishes I would share a lot less about her in church. And sometimes I even get the cold shoulder from her And when I get home because I've said too much. That happens sometimes. But, you know, there are things that happen in my marriage and things that happen in my home that are both good and bad, both good and bad, that I would never share with a soul. Not my parents, not my best friend, whoever that would be. My wife is my best friend, by the way, but outside of my marriage, I would never share with anyone. There are moments that are intimate, and I'm not talking about physical intimacy, while that's involved, emotional moments of intimacy with my wife, I would, they're dear to my heart. I would never share with anyone. Christian, you be leery of a Christian who wants to tell you about how great their prayer life is. Matthew 6 says that we're to pray privately. And if we do that, we pray in secret, the Lord will reward us openly. Number three, point number three. Luke, Luke 18, by the way, is a good place to go to, to see an example of what Jesus is talking about. Number three, we honor the Lord by forgiving automatically. By forgiving automatically. We want to honor the Lord today, right? It's His day. It's Father's Day. We want to honor Him year-round. Well, we honor our Heavenly Father by giving secretly, by praying privately, and now by forgiving automatically. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's strong. Boy, that is some strong language. 1 John 1, nine. I quoted it in here last week. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Can I tell you there's one situation where the Lord will not forgive your sins, even if you confess them? What? Are you saying 1 John 1, nine is not true? Oh, 1 John 1, nine is true. But Jesus says very clearly here in Matthew 6, if you come to Me asking for forgiveness for your wrongdoings, and there's someone in your life you've not forgiven, you are wasting your Time. Wasting your time. You think, well, Lord, I want you to forgive me for this and that and the other. And God says, how about you forgive your brother and sister in Christ for this, that, or the other. Here's the truth. When we cut the line between our brothers and sisters in the Lord, we cut the line between us and God. Another way to put it is if we put a wall up between us and others, we put a wall up between us and God. You might as well not even pray. 
you might as well not even pray. Leonardo da Vinci was one of the outstanding intellects of all history. For he was great as a draftsman, an engineer, and a thinker. Just before he began his work on the Last Supper, he had a violent quarrel with another artist. And this artist quickly became his enemy, his bitter enemy. So Leonardo was determined to face, uh, rather, to paint the face of his enemy into his artist's rendering of the Last Supper, and he decided to paint the face of his enemy into the face of Judas, and thus take revenge and hurt this man by hand, handing the man down infamy and scorn to succeeding generations. The face of Judas was therefore one of the first that he finished, and everyone who saw the painting could easily recognize it as the face of the painter with whom he had had the falling out. But when he came to paint the face of Christ, he could make no progress. Something seemed to be baffling him, holding him back, frustrating his best efforts. At length he came to the conclusion that the thing, uh, that the thing which was checking and frustrating him was the fact that he had painted his enemy into the face of Judas. He therefore painted out the face of Judas and commenced anew on the face of Jesus. And this time was with success of the ages that would be acclaimed. Here's the application to that. And by the way, I'm not a big fan of that painting, personally. I don't care for the way it looks, uh, not my style. I don't even really care for people painting Jesus. But please don't miss the application from the illustration. You cannot, at one and the same, be painting the features of Christ into your own life while painting another face with the colors of enmity and hatred. You can't have both. You can't do both. You can't be loving God over here and hating and being frustrated with your brother over here. If you're truly going to honor the Lord, you must look back at those that have hurt you or even look across at that brother or sister who is currently hurting you and you must ask God to help you forgive. Now, again, it's easy for me to stand up here and preach the truth that you should forgive others. I can stand up here and just a few sentences explain the art of forgiving. Can I tell you that it's easier for me to preach than it is for you to do? Someone cuts you deeply and hurts you greatly, it is hard to forgive. Boy, I could stand up here and take the next two, three, four hours and tell stories of people that have hurt me or hurt people that I love. And many of these stories, you would sit there with your mouth gaped open and you'd shake your head and say, I can't believe humanity could be so evil. We could go around the room and give each of you a microphone and have you share someone who's betrayed you or hurt you deeply and, and take the worst incident from everyone's life and have you share. And you know what we would learn pretty quickly is that humanity is pretty awful. And humanity does some pretty terrible things. And people betray and people hurt us deeply. And we step back and we have a tough time with that. And you say, Pastor, if you knew what such and such did to me, you wouldn't be standing up there telling me to forgive give. You wouldn't be pushing me that direction. I'd say, oh yes I would. Look, I get that forgiving is not easy, but you ought to sit back and say, Lord, I'm not going to get there today. I may not even get there tomorrow, but my long term goal is to 100% forgive the people that have hurt me. You make that your goal and every day you work to take a small step that direction. 
One day you walk down that path and you're going to get there. Aren't you glad the Lord forgave you? Aren't you glad the Lord loved you? Aren't you glad He could have sent you to hell, but yet He provided a way of escape through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and He forgave you? My friend, if we want to honor the Lord on this Father's Day, honor our Father on this Father's Day, the, our Heavenly Father, we, we honor by giving secretly, by praying privately, by forgiving automatically. Quickly, number four, we honor by fasting discreetly. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6 and look at verse number 16. Notice it says there, moreover, when ye fast. When, not if ye fast. Most Christians have never fasted. And fasting is not something that gets preached on enough. When ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father, thy Father which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Fasting is the starving of the flesh. It is the starving of the flesh and its desires in order to show our Father how serious we are about drawing closer to Him. Let me give you an example of this from an earthly father and son standpoint. If a teenage boy uh, were to skip a night of hanging out with his buddies and say, I'd rather hang out with Dad, that is the denying of the flesh, the fasting of the denying of the flesh in order to honor an earthly father. If a teenage girl were to be in a relationship with a boy that dad did not approve of, and that girl were to break off that relationship in order to honor her dad, she is starving the desires of her own flesh in order to honor her father. In a sense, loosely speaking, that is fasting. Now, when we think of fasting, automatically we think of food. And that's the most common form of fasting, is it not? Where we'll take a day and not eat, and instead of eating, we go and we pray and we talk to the Lord. We're denying the flesh in order to draw closer to the Lord. Fasting does not work because we're impressing God with our spirituality. Look how spiritual I am. I prayed three times a day instead of eating three times a day. Oh, no, 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 no. God does not reward us because we're more spiritual than someone else. God rewards us when we fast if our motive is right because we said no to our flesh in order to draw closer to the Lord. Now, with that in mind, fasting can be all kinds of things. Some may fast from social media. By the way, if you're going to have a social media fast, don't get on social media and say, I'm taking a a break from social media so I can walk with the Lord. You're kind of violating the principles here in Matthew 6. Right? Uh, I ought to write a book, How to Fast from Social Media and Tell Everyone I'm Doing It. You're doing it so that you, uh, they'll be impressed with your faith. Um, uh, you can fast from social media. You can take a, a, a fa- you can fast from coffee. How many of you be shriveled up in the corner um, if you had to fast from coffee? Amen? Um, uh, you can fast from marital activity. You married couples know what I'm talking about. You can fast from music. Have a music fast. You can fast from social gatherings. If 
you're a social butterfly. I don't mean church. I mean outside of church, but social gatherings. You can fast from that. And instead of going to a birthday party or some sort of a, a, a bowling league night, you fast from that. Instead, you pray. Fast from TV time, maybe to the um, uh, adult, young adults or uh, teenagers or children. You could fast from video games, where instead of getting on the Xbox or the PlayStation, you set that to the side and you walk with God. Instead of doing what your flesh wants to do, what are you doing? You're telling your Heavenly Father, I honor you, I want to spend more time with you. Why does fasting work? It's really, it's obvious really. When God sees our level of denial in order to draw closer to Him, He blesses us. Not because we accomplished anything, but because He rewards our devoted love to Him. Like the others, fasting should be done discreetly. You don't walk around announcing your fast. I'm fasting today, right? You, you do it discreetly. We want to honor our Heavenly Father today, amen? Matthew 6 lays out for us how to honor our Heavenly Father. We honor by giving secretly, by praying privately, by forgiving automatically, by fasting discreetly. And number five, we honor by relying completely, by relying completely. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto your statue? And why uh, take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed. Like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, but for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What the Lord is saying here to us, Jesus is saying to us here is, listen, your Father, your Heavenly Father, the number one attribute that describes Him is that He provides for the needs of their own. You know... um, The Bible tells us that if a man does not provide for his own, he is worse than an unbeliever or an infidel. If God expects me as a man, husband and father, to provide for my family, don't you think He's going to provide for us? Don't you think He's going to take care of our needs? You have an emotional need this morning? You have a physical need this morning. You have a spiritual need this morning. Uh, whatever financial need this morning. Whatever your need is, if you will seek first the kingdom of God, God will seek to take care of you. Here's a quote for you to write down. I'd encourage you to jot this down in your note. If we will tend to His work, then He will tend to our needs. If we will tend to His work, then He will tend to our needs. i finish with this. Most Christians, the reason why they struggle here is because they don't just want their needs filled, they want their wants filled. You know, um, there have been times in my life, and this isn't one of them, but there have been times in my life where I've had financial difficulties. I, in the past, I've gotten myself in deep debt and been unable to even pay some of the debt. And um, You know, that, that puts a lot of stress on a person. A lot of unneeded stress. 
And you know, I, I would go to the Lord and say, Lord, why is it that I don't have enough money to pay my bills? And God would say, how come you can afford that cup of Starbucks or that cup of Dunkin' Donuts? And listen, I, I, this has happened to me. I love coffee. I love coffee from coffee shops. I mean it, I do. And I currently get a cup of coffee from a coffee shop almost every day of my life. That's currently my schedule. But listen, I'm at a place financially right now where I can afford that. But when I can't afford that, I don't get to complain to God and say, God, you're not providing my needs. He says, I am, but you're wasting it on wants. As Christians, we need to learn to decipher the difference. When we do that, God provides for our needs. Because why? We rely on Him. If we will tend to His work, then He will tend to our needs. Boy, what's God want out of this? He wants us to honor Him. He wants us to do these things we outline in Matthew chapter 6 today. And He wants us to love Him. Christian, have you been honoring your Heavenly Father? Is your walk with Him where it ought to be? Are you giving in a way that pleases the Lord, are you praying? Are you forgiving? Are you fasting? Are you relying? Boy, these things please the Lord. And on this Father's Day, I can't think of a better thing to do than to honor our Heavenly Father. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, help us today to take a hard look in the mirror at ourselves and ask ourselves this question, are we honoring you? Lord, sometimes in my life, I've had a hard time honoring my earthly father. Most of the time, it's my sin nature. Some of the time, it's his sin nature. But Lord, in you is no sin. And so when I fail to honor you, it's my fault every time. Help us, Lord, to identify those areas in our life. And Lord, I pray that if there's one here today that heard the gospel at the beginning of the message... Lord, one that has not put their faith and trust in you, they would do that. They would do that before they leave today. May they, may they get hold of one of the pastors here and not leave until we've had a chance to explain to them how they can believe in you and put their faith in you. In Jesus' name.